Good morning! This is filmmaker David Giancola, and you're listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'll see you in the future. for june 21st 2022 i'm steve Foder, and i'm unknown caller <laughs> we're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. hopefully they're important to you if you need more information there's so many great ways to find more information like answering the phone when unknown caller calls how can no i help one, you sir no one answers the phone no one no one picks up the phone when i call steve no one answers. do you answer the phone in general chip like no i don't either i I, well i mean if if i know who is calling yes but if i if i if i I don't know who's calling i'll just let it go to voicemail and figure out what it is Uh, absolutely Uh, if school is calling i will answer it uh the fun part about that is my phone randomly selects one of my coworkers as the caller id when it's the school calling so it it looks like it's just a random person from my school but it it's not it's the system calling which is fun uh and, and you know if my family calls i'll answer that but that's it well you, you just hit it unknown caller is usually the dialer for the school district okay <laughs> and since i don't have any children in the school district anymore unknown caller will not be calling anymore well, there you go. You no longer have to answer re- unknown caller now that you have identified as unknown caller. So, Happy 2022. So, somebody was tardy to a class today is really what the message is. Followed by my my standard response is senioritis. But, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> she's probably gotten over senioritis now, now that she's graduated. Well, you know, when you have to work, um, senioritis goes away because you have to be there. Uh, yeah, it, it, it becomes valuable. Your time becomes valuable when you're getting paid. Time ain't money unless you're getting paid. Film at 11. Brings us to our film at 11, our movie of the week. You, my friend, you went to a movie theater and saw the hot movie of 2022, Chip. I did go to a movie theater, Steve. I went to a movie theater in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And I don't know if you know this, the IPEC in South Barrington has closed down. I I was aware that that is no longer a, a type of movie theater that you can go to. So we do not have a IPEC in uh, the triangle area but we have a silver spot cinema which is a little bit bigger as far as the, the number of people who will sit in a theater um, but it is very similar to the IPIC and it's in Chapel Hill and I went to a 4 p.m. showing which there were no seats left so this movie oh. came out about three or four weeks ago Steve okay so what movie did you see Top Gun Steve Maverick Top Gun Maverick, the the follow-up to the very famous Top Gun movie with volleyball involved. Well, uh, 20 years in the making, Steve. But the reason I'm mentioning this is this theater was packed, as in you would normally not see a theater that's packed three or four weeks after a, a movie has been released. Interesting. But it was a, a certain demographic. Sure. That was older than me, Steve. That was there. 
And my favorite thing was, you know, young people, they pull out their phones, they want to text. Mm-hmm. Well, um, some people who are of a, a, an older age, a more mature group, they like to read from what is on the screen. So the person next to me got to read. <laughs> there was a text scene in this film. And every time the text would come up, she would read it out loud for me. <laughs> I have uh, been guilty of that in, in small quantities. But yes, you're right. There is a certain demographic of, of older uh, people that my grandmother, I swear to you, my grandmother read out loud every sign on the side of the road as we were driving down the road. And I really believe that she was showing us that she was able to read that she was very proud of her skill of reading she was a very older lady she grew up in a different time but yes i i've, I've experienced that. well there was no ability to to make it quieter steve she decided that it was you know whatever regular speaking voice would be the the proper tone to read read whatever like and now we're going to you know wherever the whatever took place so here we go let's go ahead and review this i'm going to go ahead and say 60 out of 100 i think any person going to this who knows what top gun was from the original movie mm-hmm. um, certainly will have a wonderful time with nostalgia mm-hmm. i think that a person who did this didn't see the original film could go there and have a good time this is a good time popcorn film that a lot of people will leave and really feel that they, they've enjoyed. And that's exactly the sort of reviews that I would get there. Once you dissect, you know, the feeling that someone has, it really isn't much of a film. In fact, you've seen this film, Steve. Okay. This film is Star Wars A New Hope. Because mm-hmm. what you're going to do is you're going to take your X-Wing and you're going to fly into some cavern and do some maneuvering only to drop a bomb on a target you know and blow- yeah and, and that's what it is it's it's not any different than you know beggars Canyon, steve uh <laughs> so that is the story if you really want to know it every um everything from the original film is there it's it's um you know, the volleyball scene with the homoerotic uh, nature of it becomes a football scene. You know, they're going to play football on the beach, Steve. Um, Tom Cruise is excellent in this film. He's charming. This is where he, he rises. There's a very touching scene with Val Kilmore in it because Val Kilmore has lost his voice, mm-hmm. but his son provides his voice. It's, and- a, it's an AI that actually makes that voice happen it is really? some somewhere between the acting of his son and all of the information that they they plugged into an artificial intelligence to make that happen well they the the flight scenes are incredible they they move fast i mean it really shows what uh what this the, the, let me back up the, the the themes that you'll get from this movie are the power of mentorship the power of making your team. So all you young people out there, they're going to work. The reason why you want to be friends with the people you're working around with is they're your team. Mm -hmm. And as you move from company to company, as you move up the organization, you're going to have to have a team that you can, one, believe in, two, will be honest with you because you can't make every decision. Now, for mentors, 
this is a really good exploration of recognizing everything doesn't go right. You know, people die in military situations. And what you really want to do is be comfortable that you did what you could to make this, make things successful, but also being at peace knowing that things can turn out poorly. So obviously from the first movie, Goose has passed away, right? For this movie, Tom Cruise is basically working with his son. Okay. Um, yes, the, the pilots are arrogant because they're pilots. And um, this is, like I said, it's fun. I think that if you go to it recognizing it's a popcorn film, you'll have a great time. Tom Cruise, in most of his movies, has live stunts going on. Mm-hmm. This has live stunts going on. Is this- there a scene where Tom Cruise is running in this movie? Of course, Steve. Of course there is. Of course there is. Of course there is. Because that's what you do. You know, if it's Brad Pitt, you get him eating something. Uh-huh. If it's Tom Cruise, he's running somewhere. Yep. If, if we all could be so lucky to have a trope, Steve. Well, I have plenty of tropes, my friend. There are plenty of things that I do every day that the people around me go, yep, Wednesday. And the, the, one of my favorite scenes in this was, I was talking to my father about it, was that uh, Tom Cruise is uh, making out with, you know, some, some lady. And uh, he has to sneak out the window because he's not allowed to be there. The, uh, the mom doesn't want Tom, uh, Tom being caught in mom's room is really what it is. Are you and watching of course, risky business? Is this, did you switch to a different movie? <laughs> no, no, that's no, very similar. Okay. But anyway, uh, of course the, the kid, the, the, the daughter catches him. And of course he's got the look like, uh, and she says something that is so common for this generation. She goes, don't break my mom's heart is basically what she says. Aww. So just how um, aware and how, how life has changed from uh, you know from the eighties to today, certainly. Um, once again, I think people who go to this will enjoy it. And once again, because of how movies are being released today, this movie has legs, and this is exactly what yeah many people have been waiting for. There you go. That's great that you enjoyed that as much as you did. You actually watched another movie, this one on Hulu, and you actually like this one better. It's called Good Luck to You, Leo Grand. Yeah, I mean, truthfully, Top Gun is just an average film. Okay. You know, a little, a little, maybe a little above average. This is the best film I've seen this year. Wow. And I think this movie could be, you know, uh, you know if, it, if I guess if they had a release in the theater, could be movie of the, of the year. I, I don't know how Oscars pick. Um, but wow. so it's, yeah, I, I mean, I do think so. Emma Thompson, of course, uh, played Nanny McPhee. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nanny McPhee always, says, her statement is, when you need me, but do not want me, then I must stay. When you want me, but no longer need me, I have to go. Well, Steve, this is the story of this. So this could be Nanny McPhee 3. <laughs> No, no, no. I don't. I don't think so. I don't. <laughs> I don't think that that's what the movie that you watched, sir. <laughs> so this movie also could be easily performed as a play, and I would not be surprised that if it wasn't a play that they decided to film. So Emma Thompson plays uh, is wonderful in this. Uh, I say this is eighty out of a hundred. 
So once again, this is really, really good. Um, it was written by uh, Katie Brand. The director was Sophie Hyde. This is a woman's story. And I think that what it is, is there's a widow and, and she has not um, experienced life, certainly has not. She has performed her duty as the wife, as the mother, but really has lost herself in that moment. And what she's trying to do for the second part of her life, isn't it interesting, Steve, 55-year-old woman. I, I saw that, yeah. Holy snarky. Yeah, old, an old woman, 55. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But, but we aren't old. I, I, I mean, know. And, and, and in fact, we're still young and we still have a lot of years ahead of us. But what she wants is to be have a more authentic life, her second part. She performed her duties. Now let's experience life. And she has to break out of who she is to be able to be that person. And that's where the story begins because ultimately sex is what the subject of this is. And um, she is going to learn from this mayor. Uh, Daryl McCormick plays the, the male in this who is going to help her do that. And they have wonderful com uh, conversations. She breaks boundaries. And when I say that, not in a good way. And he gets, you know, he calls her out on it. Mm. And all of a sudden, she recognizes that life doesn't have to be where you, you, you know every aspect of another individual. It could be because you need something mm. and what you need. Once again, what incredible messaging. Most sto stories we go to are not grown-up stories. This is a grown-up story. This is a really, really good exploration of grown-up stories. And you can use this in any number of things. We, once again, sex was the, the topic here, but it could be anything in your life. And that is why this film could be Picture of the Year. It's that good and worthy of your time. So this is not for children. This is not a superhero story. This is about two individuals who are coming to terms with what they are and what they need and how they communicate with each other. It is really, really good. Wow, that's great. I hope that uh, we can tell people about this movie because I think being on Hulu, it's going to get lost. And it could get lost. And I hope it has a theater, um, a the theatrical presentation at some point. Okay. That's awesome. I, I will look into that one because I do love Emma Thompson. I do love her acting skill. And so I, I will seek this one out. You saw a third movie this week. How about that? You saw The Lost Girls, the latest version of the Peter Pan story. It is. Now, this movie is supposed to have a theatrical release, but I ended up um, putting it on a streaming service. So you pick your streaming service and you can, you can rent this film. And this is a story um, that takes place with the Peter Pan myth. So this is about Wendy, because Peter and Wendy, it was the story. Um, this is a very difficult film to kind of unwind. Hmm. Um, 
In fact, at some point in the film, towards the end of the film, she says, this is a tangled mess of a story that there may be something important. I think that's what something like that was said. Hmm. And I think that describes this film a whole bunch. This is, I'm going to say 55 out of 100 on this film. This film isn't bad. It isn't good. This is a film potentially about um, letting go of your youth, losing yourself at some point with that. This is a story that talks a little bit about um, maybe uh, a person who is going through mental health issues, mm. having a difficult with difficult time with reality. There, there's a lot to this that goes on, um, but it's really hard to. It's like every time you're watching it. I mean, as you're watching it, you're going, "Okay, this seems like it's important, but it's just not important." Mm. There are times when the acting is not that good um, and that could be because of how it's written this is about a father who basically is shielding his daughter from the mother so the, i mean ultimately what it is is wendy from peter and wendy had a daughter named jane jane who was trying to protect herself from wendy may mm. have had some mental health issues and because she was going through mental health issues, chose to exit the family. Jane's daughter was Wendy. And Wendy also is having a difficult time with reality. Gotcha. So Wendy has another child, which is the modern child, who eventually meets Peter, you know, eternal youth. And starts having mental health issues too. Hmm. And in fact, that is, the, in, in Peter Pan, the story is played along with this. At the time, I, I, I kind of think that Peter Pan wasn't a, even a good guy in this. There's something going on there that they could have gone really, really dark with this. And I'm not sure that they did. Once again, it's a tangled mess of a story hmm. that you could pull things out. I want to like this. I think that there's something there. I think the execution was okay. But at the time, I wasn't, uh, at the end, I'm not, not really satisfied. Okay. But there is something there. So if you, you, you got roped into watching this, this is um, certainly not a child's movie. Mm -hmm. This is a, um, a movie that, that would be for, uh, you know, an exploration of maybe lost youth and maybe going through... Mm for a young girl maybe going through the Peter Pan of their, of, you know, their boyfriend at the time. All right, so I wanted to make sure I mentioned that Peter Pan may not be the savior. You know, the youthful, the person who promises, say, don't ever grow up, don't ever mature. Captain Hook is in this too. He shows up once again as kind of this dream character that's maybe part of reality. But anyway, he is the introduction of the bad part of being older. Hmm. Uh, and there's, once again, there's, there's, and how do you protect someone? That's the, what the, the part the father does. How do you protect something like this? And as we move from Wendy to Jane to granddaughter Wendy to the current daughter, what we've seen is women and their roles have changed. Mm -hmm. And they become much more challenging for Peter Pan. So the original Wendy 
what her role in society was is very different from great-granddaughter who is going to meet Wendy, who basically is much more of what I would say my daughters are like, Mm -hmm. much stronger, has have much more demands on what they want want out of life Mm -hmm. and are able to, and feel they're able to go after those. Now, there's some tragedy along the way and some things that go on. And once again, I ultimately think this is a story about mental health. I, once again, struggle kind of to recommend this. But okay. once again, 55 out of 100. All right. Not a bad movie, not a good movie, but there's a lot to it that might you might have conversations afterwards. Absolutely. And that's what, I mean, when you go and you're watching something, isn't that what you want? You, you want something that you can discuss after. Sometimes. Sometimes that's what I want, Chip. Sometimes I want to bring you a movie that I want to discuss with you. And sometimes, Chip, sometimes I watch Bubba Hotep from 20 <laughs> from 2002 because I freaking love this silly, ridiculous movie. This movie is 20 years old. It was first released on June 9th, 2002, 20 years ago. Bruce Campbell plays Elvis Presley laying in a nursing home bed and wondering about where his life went wrong. And Ozzie Davis plays John F. Kennedy. Yes, Ozzie Davis was an African-American actor. And yes, the story of John F. Kennedy being removed from the White House and being dyed a different color so that no one would believe him when he told his story in the nursing home, that is Bubba Hotep. <laughs> now, Elvis Presley in this, that's an impersonator, right? He is, he is an impersonator. No, 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 he's not. The story is that Elvis Presley switched places with an Elvis impersonator and signed over his life to this impersonator. The impersonator unfortunately had a bad heart and died of a heart attack. So Elvis Presley, old Elvis Presley, is laying in this nursing home bed and then he has this adventure fighting an Egyptian mummy who comes back to life and sucks out people's souls through their rectum. Thank you. <laughs> Steve, um, what more could you want in a movie? I love this movie. Bubba Hotep <laughs> is one of my favorite movies. I have watched this probably six or seven times in the last 20 years. It is a phenomenal view of very independent filmmaking very silly sci-fi horror and i i swear to god i will watch anything with bruce campbell in it his charisma just makes this movie exciting i love bubba hotep i'm so surprised that we haven't talked about this i know that i've mentioned this movie in the last eight years on the show but the 20th anniversary brought me back to watch this movie one more time (laughs) Well, how wonderful. I also finished off Star Trek Picard, finally. Uh, That is a series on Paramount+. Plus. It is a very good Star Trek. It's not nearly as good as Strange New Worlds, but Star Trek Picard has some interesting messages about memory and 
fighting for the future uh time travel there's time travel in it chip and james callis plays jean-luc picard's mysterious father maurice picard that is the actor who played dr baltar in battlestar galactica so the whole time i'm looking at james callis going hey, oh, baltar baltar is now both in battlestar galactica and star trek well what we're looking for is six steve well seven is in this one that's the funny thing is there's a character in star trek called seven of nine and she is not six she's seven <laughs> i think i did actually make that joke out loud while my wife and i were watching picard is that dr baltar is there looking for six and accidentally finds seven it's all six and sevens there steve Opening this week, we've got some great movies coming out and the rest. <laughs> the first one is called simply Elvis. The He's going Elvis... to TCB, baby, Steve. Oh, boy. Taking TCB. Care of... Taking care of business, baby. Uh, Elvis, the Baz Luhrmann film, Tom Hanks playing Colonel Tom Parker. I look forward to this movie so much. This looks really, really good. If and if I... you like Baz Luhrmann. If you like Baz Luhrmann, this looks like a good movie. If you hate I, I, Baz Luhrmann, you will like this movie. Who is Baz Luhrmann, Steve? He is the very Australian director that has given us the uh, Romeo and Juliet, the very, very, very wacky Romeo and Juliet, and the very, very strange Moulin Rouge. He has a very, very distinct film style and uh, this Elvis movie will be wacky and weird with that style of filmmaking I, I don't see it that way I see this as a pretty straightforward type of uh, story it's got Tom Hanks starring in it also as Colonel Tom Parker um, this looks really good I, I in fact I was wondering if it was a playtone type of uh, film because Hanks is his you know, connected himself to this. Mm -hmm. And I think this looks really good. I, I'm not sure if it's going to go. I mean, think about how popular the um, Bohemian Rhapsody was mm -hmm. and, and how uh, popular the, um, I can't think of uh, Elton John's movie, but the Elton John film, this, this follows right into that. In addition to that, if you remember Tom Hanks, That Thing You Do, mm -hmm. this seems to create a nice little, book into that and i i don't know if you ever watched the um tom hanks give his speech at uh, the rock and roll hall of fame for the dave, dave clark five we've got that in our show notes so tell me tell me about that one well i mean tom hanks wrote this beautiful speech about that time and music and how he got so excited uh, about how, what songs meant to them about how turning the radio on and finding the snappy poppy music and what it meant to, you know, a person in anywhere in the United States. Now he was in California, but for anywhere, all of a sudden you had this man come on. It's this Elvis Presley or Dave Clark five or the Beatles or whatever that was the lake, local pop song of the time and sort of, what it meant to you're connected to the to the world um people do that through tiktok now or, or any of the other uh, uh services out there social media 
But at the time, it was much more local with your local radio station. And sort of the songs would come from anywhere. Mm-hmm. And they were just really, really good. Elvis, for young people, do not realize how ultimately big he was. And for our generation, the, the sad part is we got him at the end, mm-hmm. where he was just this bloated, fat guy that became a, a, a catch for anything that would be kind of hokey at the time. It was from the past. Yeah. And any, you know, if you needed to go to a costume party, you could dress up as Elvis and you'd show up in rhinestones and, and big things. And people go down to Memphis and go to see the jungle room. Yeah. Because he became this not bigger than life person, kind of yeah. a joke. Yeah. Uh, but but we don't realize that he was everything. He was yeah. if you think Justin Bieber was big or Taylor Swift is big or whoever your latest version of that is, they were nowhere as big as what Elvis was. Mm-hmm. Elvis was as big as, say, Harry Potter was, or Star Wars. Yeah. I mean, you have to put them on that type of cultural phenomenon. Yeah. And that's why I think that this movie could be really good. Let me, let me reach into my pocket and get my keys out. What does my keychain say? Taking care of business. TCB, baby. Elvis <laughs> is so much that big, major part of pop culture. I loved going down to Graceland. I loved walking into that jungle room and being a part of that experience. I hope that this movie will give us all of those feelings. I have a feeling that this movie is not going to be very critical of Elvis. I think this is going to be very, very kind to Elvis, and I look forward to this one big time. There are other movies coming out this week, though, that I'm not looking forward to nearly as much. There's a movie called Harmony coming out. This is a very near future where a wounded soldier discovers the medical facility she has been placed in is maybe, maybe not there for her health. Maybe it's there to do something other than help her recover. Uh, That sounds like a scary sci-fi movie. It certainly sounds scary. And so let's go to our next film, Steve. Yeah, the really scary movie, The Black Phone. This is Ethan Hawke. Uh, after being abducted by a child killer, a 13-year-old boy starts receiving calls on a disconnected phone from the killer's previous victims. One of those rare times where a phone call in a horror movie is actually a good thing. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know if this is going to do magicians any favor steve sort of like um how clowns are not in favor the bad guy is a magician there you go there you go see what this brings us to is there maybe some kind of western out there for us yep let's head out to montana to yellowstone city and watch anna camp gabriel byrne and richard dreyfus in a movie called murder at yellowstone city this could be important steve this means something this is important. <laughs> I, I wonder if they'll have mashed potatoes. You never know, Steve. There is a time travel movie this week. You put it on the list for me. Thank you. Uh, it's called Press Play. A young woman has a chance to save the love of her life when she discovers that the mixtape that they made together can transport her back in time. We've talked about this twice already during the show. Music is important. Music can transport you back in time. Press Play shows that. Steve, I don't know if you've ever uh, watched the Tom Hanks speech 
at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when he introduced the uh, Dave Clark Five. It's in our show notes. Tell us about that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it seems like that music can transport us back into time. Yes. But, by the way, this is a movie for teens. Okay. I, I look forward to watching press play and maybe suggesting it to my teenage students. Maybe they would be interested in that time travel story about mixtapes. Steve, there was a time when MTV yeah. used to play music and then they started adding shows. So tell us about the time that they started adding shows. Yes. Beavis and Butthead was a TV show on MTV from 1993 to 1997. And a new movie is coming to Paramount Plus this week. It's called Beavis and Butthead Do the Universe. Steve, when you were young, did you ever go to an animation festival and see, I don't know, like Bambi versus Godzilla? I, I never did, but I am aware of animation festivals and Bambi versus Godzilla was certainly on my radar as a Svengoolie fan. Yes, I, I am aware of such things. So I used to go to one in the Washington, D.C. area at the Biograph, if you, if you know that, down in Georgetown. Anyway, um, I went to see Bambi versus Godzilla along with a bunch of other ones. But I saw the original Beavis and Butthead short, Frog Baseball. Did you ever see that? I have seen that. That is that is a very disturbing uh, introduction to these characters who are very disturbing in and of themselves. And of course, uh, Mike Judge had another one there, which was, um, I can't remember what the guy's name, but it became Office Space, the guy with the red stapler. There you go. So, but anyway, so regardless, Mike Judge um, originally put these out as these little shorts, eventually picked up by MTV, where they had these little adventures about propane and propane accessories. That's King uh, of the Hill. That's a different That's a different Mike Judge cartoon. <laughs> oh, it was, it was a butane? Well, the other guy, the, na the retired Navy guy. That's regardless, regard, regardless, Beavis and Butthead came on and they watched videos and uh, they they killed the, I guess, the momentum that Winger could have had on the world. Uh, in, fact, in fact, if I remember properly, it was one of the guys on Kip Winger's band. He was watching Beavis and Butthead and found out the uncool kid had the Winger t-shirt. And looked at Kip and said, our time as a band is, is pretty much over at this point. The fun, that that was the fun part of Beavis and Butthead for me was watching those amazing music videos, the art that is created in those music videos, and having these two idiots riff on those videos, making fun of those videos. The good news is that all 200 original episodes of Beavis and Butthead are also returning to Paramount Plus on June 23rd with those original music video riffs. I, I don't know how the Paramount got that to work. I don't know how much money they had to back up to the to Kip Winger's house to make that happen, but those original pieces of music are in these episodes. So Viacom, which owns MTV, and CBS were the, are um, the same parent company. Correct. That's the reason why they're they're on Paramount. Uh, yes, Paramount and Viacom, same same company. Uh, they owned Blockbuster at one point, so I was an employee of theirs at one point. Well, that's the reason why um, Beavis and Butthead is on this. I don't know how well they're going to hold up, but uh, do we need a whole generation of uh, people laughing like Butthead and Beavis? <laughs> cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs> fire. Fire. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve.
Steve, maybe Cornholio will visit you when you go back to school. Teepee. Teepee for my bug hole. Cornholio. <laughs> God, I love that stuff. God, it makes me laugh. I, okay, so honestly, we watched that in college, and it did not make me laugh in college. But now, as a nostalgia piece for, for the late 1900s, I, I'm excited to watch these riffs. <laughs> May it bring your staff joy, Steve, as you get to hear this all year. Brings us to our book at our book of the week. I got a chance to read an autobiography this week by Don Cassarelli. Don Cassarelli's name might not be familiar to you, but he is a very independent filmmaker. The book is called True Indie, Life and Death in Filmmaking, and it was published in 2019. Don Cassarelli, uh, best known for his movie The Phantasm, you may have seen Phantasm, or if you look at the cover art, you might recognize the silver ball with the knives that comes after you. This is a very low-budget, independent horror film. He tells the story of making these movies and how he got into the film industry and uh, another movie that you might have heard of, Beastmaster, the Mark Singer, not Conan ripoff. There's there's actually a, a paragraph that Don Cassarelli writes in his book to describe how people have come up to him over the years and said that the Beastmaster was a ripoff of Conan the Barbarian. And he's like, no, it came out three months after Conan. There is no way that I could have ripped off a movie in that amount of time. I did not read the script. I did not know anything about Conan other than a few nuggets of knowledge from the comic books. This was an original work. From the comic books, Robert E. Howard's books from a long time ago somehow didn't influence this. He swears that it didn't. He swears that he knew of Conan the Barbarian. He knew of this pop culture phenomenon. But no, Beastmaster was a completely original idea of a, a very athletic Mark Singer, a very sweaty situation where he is shirtless running around and talking to animals. <laughs> so what we have here is an independent filmmaker who was able to make his movies, I guess, in a, in a time where the cost of filming was coming down to the point where if you wanted to do it, you could do it. He goes through in his autobiography all of the time that he spent with the major studios because he did grow up in California. He was working with major studios and he ran into so many issues with the, the structure of a movie studio where he wouldn't have the voice that he wanted in the filmmaking, where there's so many higher ups that have better ideas about what they think think a movie should be by the end that he was frustrated by that and he left that system in order to maintain that independence well in, in fact wouldn't george lucas really be mm -hmm. a person that you could point to and say hey 
the studios are not allowing me to do what I want to do. I'm going to do it myself. And maybe this was the first wave that was the beneficiary of that. Certainly, budgets are always an issue. Right. Money um, is money is a big part of this conversation. Independent films. We say that word independent when we mean low budget. Yeah. And in fact, there's a good point right there is that we tend to equate that. But I would say Star Wars The Phantom Menace, the episode one, that was a big budget independent film. Isn't that interesting? So, yeah, and, and we are at a time also where the equipment needed to film uh, movies, we could come to any level we need to. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you've got all this um, catalog of, 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 I guess, recordings that you can kind of piecemeal spaceships or whatever you need to be able to give it the believability so we you know you can see where it it kind of creates a situation where any story that you want to get taken to to go on could be you know made remember when we talked to david giancola about his filmmaking his very independent low budget filmmaking and he showed us how he's using footage that was recorded by a big budget you know sony level studio and he's taking that generic footage and adding his actors in close-up to make it look like his actors are in these big car chase scenes these big explosions and he's doing it at fractions of the cost because he's not filming that part he's just buying that footage well let's learn a little bit more about uh don here and tell us a little bit about maybe how he got started it's it's fascinating to me to read autobiographies. I love looking at how people got to be the the person that they are. And yes, I think the key to Don Casarelli is he grew up in California. The whole time I was reading this book, I was thinking, what if, what if I was born in California instead of in Illinois? What if I well, would... you, you wouldn't be able to go to Shermer High, Steve. There is no Shermer in Illinois. <laughs> Uh, what if I was able to pick up the phone and talk to those influencers of the time? I, I do that a lot now as an adult. I go and, and email those authors that I really want to talk to, and we get to talk to a lot of great people. But Don Consarelli, in the early 70s, in California, he went to the offices of Ray Bradbury. He went to ask Ray Bradbury if he could produce a movie version of Something Wicked This Way Comes. He got a phone call from Ray Bradbury's agent who said, oh, I I wish you had called me last week because last week I inked a deal with Disney to make a movie of something wicked this way comes. I would have rather given that chance to you, kid, to make your independent film. Uh, do you think that's true? I mean, Disney wasn't Disney of today. Right. Okay, Disney was a much smaller studio, mm-hmm. but certainly Disney had more access to resources than, uh, than Don here. Certainly. 
Certainly. And of course, when we're reading an autobiography, we have to take it with the grain of salt of the perspective of the author. But he really believes that he had a chance of making that Ray Bradbury story into a, a really interesting independent film. Disney made a movie of Something Wicked This Way Comes. It's not a great movie. It's not a classic. It's it's boring, really. So that's, that sounds very interesting. And it sounds like maybe the guy was, uh, the, the manager's like, oh, you know, certainly kind of feeding his ego a little bit and at least, at least pushing him on. So tell us a little bit more about, you know, what was going on with Don and, and how he got these films produced. The story of film production is one of my favorite types of stories in autobiographies. And yes, he tells the story of making Bubba Hotep. Guess why I picked up this book, Chip? Because this is the director of Bubba Hotep, the story of making this ridiculous, silly, charismatic, filled with blood and gushing. This, this movie is one of the movies that Don Casarelli is going to go down in history having made. Phantasm being the first one, Phantasm being one of the first really bloody, uh, ridiculous horror genre of the independent filmmaker. Beastmaster being the shirtless uh, Mark Singer. But Bubba Hotep has something special. He did make a recent movie, John Dies at the End. Do you remember talking about this one a couple of years back what 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 david Wong? yes john dies at the end is in fact, in fact jason pargin who is david Wong, um is an illinois resident there you go there's your illinois connection always looking for the illinois connection even if you have to go to Shermer to get it <laughs> john dies at the end is that same style of filmmaking very interesting makes you wonder what was happening on the set i wish i wish that i was in the world of indie filmmaking more than i am i wish that i had the opportunity to meet more of these people this autobiography allows me that moment uh, the nice part about the audiobook version of this is don casarelli reads his own autobiography so you get his voice in these please, words please tell me his, his voice is like let me tell you something kid no, no, he's, he, he's got a very good audiobook narrator voice. He he really could make a living at reading other people's audiobooks, but reading his own gives me just that wonderful moment that sometimes we get at the conventions when we get to go meet these people that we admire. But getting the the whatever seven hours of audiobook where Don Casarelli tells you this is how wonderful my life has been, of course course it's an autobiography we have to take it all of the stories with a grain of salt maybe he wasn't as wonderful as he makes himself out to be but i still admire his filmmaking and his independent spirit well it sounds like a lot of fun and obviously anytime you can get a filmmaker um to tell a little bit about the craft and about their experience in being able to secure materials and how they put it together certainly it sounds like a very interesting story it is. It is one of the good autobiographies. It is not just a chronology of I did this and I did this and I did this. It is a story that he's able to put together of how 
all of these wonderful films and when i say wonderful all of these films that i really like <laughs> these movies were put together in such a slapdash way sometimes and in such a caring concerned way and other stories and it's wonderful i i recommend this book highly i recommend all of these silly movies especially bubba hotep celebrating its 20th anniversary the book is called true indie life and death in filmmaking by don casarelli Scroll with it. Brings us to our scroll with it. Uh, our scroll with it is brought to you by artificial intelligence, Chip. Excellent, Steve. <laughs> it, can, it, can, it, it controls everything, Steve. By Thank you, Elon Musk. <laughs> artificial intelligence has been a big news story this week. The first story, uh, Blake Lemon uh, is an engineer at Google. He was recently suspended from his software engineering job at Google uh, because he reported that the Google AI Lambda uh, has become sentient. Uh, he really believes that this AI has real thinking and feelings, and that is a, a terror in the AI world. Well, he sounds like a very bright person, mm -hmm. but there's probably two things going on there. One, Google would like to control how the information of their software gets out or their AI gets out to the public. Uh -huh. And the second part is that his, his decision to, to make it go um, live, um, maybe Blake is having some mental health issues. It, it's, uh, do you remember talking to Rob Reed about the book After On, the story of an AI that becomes sentient and, and, and gets uh, a group of humans in the know to help it to uh, gain dominance? This is maybe the story of an AI that's gained sentience, or it's the story of an AI that is so good at what it does, it can convince even a senior software engineer working on the project that it's that good. That's That makes for uh, an interesting, intriguing mystery in After On. Mm -hmm. Sounds interesting, Steve. There is another AI in the news this week called Dall-E. Uh, you may have seen some of the pictures that have been taken from Dall-E. Yeah, you can type in any words, any words, words that theoretically exist only in the deep recesses of your soul. And within a few seconds, the algorithm manifests those words into an image on your screen. And oh my goodness, the, uh, the bizarre images that this AI creates is uh, striking. So this, this search engine was designed, Steve, what is it really set out to do? To make images from words I, I think that we're but it's not making images is it is it is it scouring the internet to find images 
and to combine different concepts together so that when you look at the images that it, it has made, you see a sometimes bizarre and sometimes beautiful rendition of that thought, that idea. The AI is better with abstract painting than it is with faces. Like a landscape of a desert is quite pretty. Uh, a pencil sketch of Dolly Parton looks like it might steal your soul. And Paul McCartney eating kale uh, will take years off of your life. It's uh, it's pretty bizarre to look at the pictures. I, I put a couple of them in the show notes, by the way. I, I'm seeing them. And what they look like are um, stuff that you would go to like a service to be able to get a picture. Like mm -hmm. we put in too much scrolling. And, it, you know, it's got computers, people sitting next to computers. But there's also this sort of moving around the picture. So it's not clear. And, it, and you use the word abstract, but sort of um, distorting the mm -hmm. images. Especially so, faces. Oh, how interesting. And the keyboard. See the keyboard on the one that the, the keyboard is all like pebbles instead of keys. It's it's a very interesting study in how we can use AI to generate ideas beyond the ideas that we initially give to it. Yeah, I'm not saying how I could use this. Well, it's it's still early days in AI. We're still working on how to best use it. And Dolly is not a great exploration of, of making imagery, but boy, is it addictive. If you start putting in different words, uh, you will you'll get to a point where you are having too much fun with this AI. Well, I think I'm going to have to contact Blake Lamone at Google and maybe he can help me. He can explain that <laughs> he's, got, he's got some time on his hands. <laughs> I don't know, Jim. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think? Only if we can come back next week, Steve. Only if the AI allows us. <laughs> we would love to hear from you. Give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-4104-TMS. Our website is toomuchscrolling.com. Our email is toomuchscrolling at gmail.com. We're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Too Much Scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Foder. I'm unknown caller. Still not answering. <laughs>